Hey everyone, Patrick here. This week, we wanted to share with you an episode from our recent Patreon coverage of the Academy Award-winning five-part documentary series, OJ Made in America. As we do on Patreon, we cover the series episode by episode. We're sharing episode three here because this is the episode where they really jump into the murder case against OJ. Each episode in the series is super fascinating, and you can hear our coverage of each of the five episodes in order on our Patreon feed right now. There, you can also get over 100 full bonus episodes of TCO to binge right this second, including our episode by episode coverage of The Jinx, Serial Season 1, Making a Murderer, The Casey Anthony Documentary, Lorraine the disappearance of Madeline McCann. And just this morning, you guys, we released the audio version of our recent live show covering the legend of Cocaine Island, which we did all across the country on our 2019 tour. Just go to patreon.com slash Obsessed, or go to our website and click on the Patreon link. All right, you guys, enjoy episode three of OJ Made in America. First thing I have to tell you. Oh, no. Remember last week when we were singing the Bewitched theme song because OJ did that movie with Elizabeth Montgomery? Mm-hmm. It was the I Dream of Jeannie theme song that we were singing. Oh, yeah. Our editor, Matt, was like, so I was going to put the music in under you, but then I realized it wasn't the Bewitched theme. Right. Do you want me to keep it or get rid of it? I was like, let's just keep it. It's so funny because as we were doing it, I knew it was Jeannie because... You did? Because in my head, I was thinking of Ferris Bueller, Matthew Broderick doing the dance. Do- oh. Do- 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 Matt, do- do- can you give us some of that noise that they make do- when she wiggles? her nose. <laughs> but wait, that's not I that's, that's Jeannie, that's Bewitched. Bewitched. Ah! You have to do that when she nods, that's when right. she nods her head. Who's skinnier, me or her? You. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, you guys. OJ Made in America, episode three. Yeah. Ooh, this is a tough one. I know, right from the beginning. A lot of people are like in rare form in this one. Zoe Tur is in rare form. Yeah, I really love Zoe Tur. I know, me too. <laughs> But she does at points think this is like an adventure movie and she forgets that like two people have been brutally murdered. But remember, we'll get there. But at the time, she didn't really fully get what was happening. I guess nobody really did. It all happened very fast. All right, so we start on June 13th, 1994, 4.25 a.m. Tom Lang, an LAPD detective, arrives on the scene at Nicole's house. I got there, they had the scene very well secured. They had the entire block taped off. Front door wide open, little music playing in the background, candles are lit inside. Very violent confrontation, rage. And then, without any goddamn warning, we are just seeing blood everywhere. Nicole's body, Ron's body. It is gruesome. Yeah, there's blood everywhere. And they say, like, this was a very violent confrontation. Then, like, Tom Lang tells us, like, we find a glove, just a left glove, and a blood trail indicating the suspect has been wounded on the left side. So we're just getting into this when we find out that this is apparently O.J. Simpson's estranged wife. For some reason, and I guess I understand why, it gives everything a whole different... Yeah, in 1994, like, he was a total has-been at that point, but think about the age of the men who were on this scene. Right, I, totally. I, I, I didn't hear a single woman on the scene. You're absolutely right about you know? that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. think about, they were just like, oh, the run, whatever, who cares? <laughs> and the thing is, like, they realize the kids are asleep upstairs, which so is just terrifying. This is a thing that has always boggled my mind. Somehow, I mean, I guess I'm assuming it's a huge house or whatever, yeah. but somehow these kids sleep 
slept through this incredibly violent encounter mm-hmm. and like didn't wake up. Yeah, I had a really, really, really sad, heartbreaking thought. Do you want to know what it is? Uh-huh. That they've heard these sounds before. Oh, God, they've, you're right. They've heard the fighting before because on, on one of the phone calls, you hear Nicole saying like, OJ, the kids are upstairs. Like, can you at least uh-huh. stop screaming for uh-huh. five seconds? So they realize like, look, we got to go find OJ and like let him know. So suddenly we're on the scene at Rockingham. Not just because it's OJ, but because he's the next to Ken. Exactly. Like, it's, it's not just because they're like, we get to talk to OJ now. Like, no, like that's, uh-huh. a, that's a legal thing. Right. It's like on the record. <laughs> right, they have right. to do that. But then I have Mark fucking Furman. Mark goddamn Furman. We see Mark Furman and he's the first to tell us. Lang and Van Etter were talking and they called me over and said, you were at Simpson's house once, right? We want you to take us up there. Because remember how the cops and OJ are, quote, boys? Uh-huh. And remember how when Nicole was living at Rockingham, all the eight times she called the cops yep. on OJ for domestic violence? Yeah. Yeah, the cops super know where OJ lives. Ugh. Whether it's the July 4th barbecue or sweeping domestic violence under the rug, they know where to go. They right. know where yeah. Rockingham yeah, yeah, yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Excellent. So the, he gets there and he sees the Bronco. And he sees there's blood on the Bronco. Yes. And yes. he's like, ah, this is weird. And there's blood by the driver's side door handle. And- Furman's like, I mean, there was enough evidence outside. We got to make sure everybody's okay in here. Again, what are we going to do? Simpson's in there dead. Well, yeah, we need to go in. So I jumped up over the fence and I opened the gate. Furman jumps the fence at OJ's house. Says Furman. Right. Don't try to be a hero, Mark Furman. Um, Yeah, yeah. That's a good call. You know, like, so he's like, and he just hops the fence. Like, all right. Yeah. Furman, shut up. Can we just say that over and over? Where's the bell? Where is she? There she is. But enter Kato Kalen. Look, I'm not going to lie. When I was a kid, I had the biggest crush on Kato. Of course you did. He became a celebrity over this. Do you remember when he, quote, posed for Playgirl magazine? I don't. Because he didn't, actually. Oh, good. The biggest I committed a crime when I was like a 13 year old kid and I stole a Playgirl magazine because I thought Kato Kalen was going to be in it. Was he on the cover? He was on the cover. He just did an interview on the inside. Kato, nobody cares what you have. Nobody cares what you have to say. You were like forced to read it for the article. I know. So why why is Kato Kalen here? Back back to let's focus. So he was living in OJ's guest house inexplicably. We don't really know how they met. I know. They look like quite an odd couple. I don't really get how. And Kato tells the cops that OJ left for Chicago the night before. So then Furman is like walk around to the back there's a couple of bungalows. The first one was Cato Kalin's. Cato Kalin was a a live-in friend. He goes tell me what you did last night. He goes well I was talking on the phone and all of a sudden there was like an earthquake. It was just like on the wall and the picture shook. I walk back outside and I start walking down the back behind the bungalows. And then as I pan down, I see this brown glistening. At first I thought it was dog crap. And then I shine the light on it glove. Obviously, OJ's the killer. Why did he do this? Why, like, does he just think that he's so above the law that he's not paying attention to where he's dropping the bloody gloves? Right. I think it's half that, and I really do truly think he was in a blind rage. So at this point, Tom Lang tells us... I make the decision to make a telephonic to the Brown family, and I talk to Lou Brown and say that your daughter Nicole is, is, is dead. Just say you called them. <laughs> I know. 
I know. I was thinking about you as soon as he said it. A telephonic? telephonic? I know. Tom Lang, come on, girl. Who are you? Like, no doubt, back in 1997, Spider Webs, <laughs> a telephonic invasion. And it's so sad. He calls the Brown family. He calls mm-hmm. Nicole's family. And, like, and the dad, dad answers. answers. And he tells them that Nicole has been murdered. Mm-hmm. And he says it's just like, it's quiet for a second. And then her sister, Denise, yeah. just like loses it. It's quiet for about two seconds. And then all of the screaming is Nicole's sister. Denise, I knew that motherfucker he was going to kill. I knew he was going to do this. I mean, she didn't hesitate. Nobody comes unglued like that unless they have a strong suspicion. We got to look at it a little differently now. When you're a cop and you hear that, you're like, huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Maybe yeah. It's, a, it's a continuation of one crime scene at Rockingham. Maybe it's not two separate crime scenes. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know? But then also, like, at the same time, OJ's not there. He's in Chicago. You know? Right. Like, that's just, like, this was obviously a thought out plan. Right. So now the cops have to leave the crime scene because they can't do anything without a warrant. And I'm like, really? I know. Two people have been brutally murdered and you have to leave because you don't have a warrant? Isn't that, like, what do they call it? Reasonable cause or whatever? Like, <laughs> but you know who's here to tell us all about that? Marsha Clark! I know we don't like to talk about people's, well, you super love to talk about people's appearances. Yeah, 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 yeah. But especially with women, and especially when Marsha Clark was just totally ripped to pieces during this trial. Are we going to say the same thing? Marsha Clark looks better and younger than she did in 1994 in this documentary. She really does. And my big note is, you guys, Marsha Clark figured out what to do with her hair. It's never too late, you guys. It's never too late. We can all figure it out. How does she look younger now? I know. She's like hip. And so it's not about her appearance, but I just have to say it. Yeah. looks, I want to like go grab a drink with her, Marsha. At the time, Marsha Clark is the LA County prosecutor. So the cops call her and they're like, Bill Van Etter called me and said, I've got some information. I need to get a search warrant. I need you to tell me if you think it sounds okay. And he just summarized the evidence and it was huge. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Get the search warrant. You're fine. And he said, you know who it is? It's OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson? I was never into sports, so I didn't even know what game he played. I thought he was a has-been. I also love that she, like us, had no idea who O.J. Simpson was. She was like... The what? The who? The who? I, I'm sorry. I was too busy like going through law school. Again, uh-huh. like dealing with stressful cases, a stressful life. And immediately, and I know now it's just for the shade of it all. Right. And I'm so here for it. <laughs> but she's like, once I learned who he was, I was like, oh, so it has been? Okay, cool. Right. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Good to know. Good to know. Every time somebody calls OJ a husband, it is kind of the best thing ever. It's just, it's yeah. like the killer and the husband. Right, right exactly. Great. So by Monday morning, OJ is back from his trip to Chicago. Oh, great. And the cops go over to the house and they cuff him. Right. So I have some questions here. Yeah, I have no answers, but fire away. Right, it's really just me being ragey. So my questions are, so they handcuff him the second he walks into Rockingham, right? Yes. So I'm just like, wait a second. Did he think he could just like go away for the weekend and it would all die down by Monday? That's number one. And then it's like, he could have fled the country if he wanted to. Why go to Chicago? And then I'm like, he's so entitled. And I also think he's just delusional. Like there's this entitlement and this, it's all going to be fine. Yeah. And this weird, like these mental gymnastics he had to do, I guess. Because why did he go back home? I really think he thought that he would have a half-assed plan. The cops are his friends. He's going to be able to talk his way out of it. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I mean? Totally. Do you know what I'm just realizing? No. All of those crazy things he thought, mm-hmm. he was right. He got away with it. Right. He did get away with it. I was just thinking like this sloppy-ass plan. He, in the back of his mind, he's thinking like, I can kill this woman. I can do it sloppily and I'm going to get away with it. And I was like, what a fucking idiot. Oh, wait. He did. He was right. 
I know, I know. I think that's why I cried really at the end of every episode of Confronting OJ. Uh Uh-huh. Because it's like, but what's going to happen now? Like, I think now looking back on it, I should hope that almost all of us, especially if back then you were just defending him or you you were on the fence. Uh Uh-huh. Like, just because everybody knows he did it, like, he's still a pompous ass on fucking Twitter Uh. and being a nightmare. Like, what's going to happen to him? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. So they drag him downtown and Tom Lang, the guy who found the glove at Nicole's house, he's like, OJ said he was going to talk to us, which was very strange. God damn it. Did they screw this up? And you know who can't even handle it? Marsha Clark. Marsha Clark. Me and Marsha Clark. (laughs) Yeah, because Furman says to us, you have one opportunity forever to talk to this guy forever. And OJ has a big cut on his hand. Right. You guys remember that episode of The West Wing where Josh cut his hand? It's called Noel, like after the PTSD, after the shooting. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the all does is like, Josh, how'd you cut your hand? And he's like, <laughs> I broke it on a glass. And you're like, Josh, no, you didn't right. break it on a glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's OJ's line number one. Totally. I broke it on a glass. Yeah. But the point is when they're asking him in this interrogation, which is recorded, by the way, right. w- without a lawyer, like this is it. What they should have been doing is locking him into a timeline. Exactly. What they allow allowed him to do is just ramble and make no sense. And so they got zero information and this was worthless to the prosecution. Right, and like we hear Marsha Clark saying, what do you mean? What do you mean you 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 cut yourself in Chicago, but the blood got on the Bronco before you left? What do you mean? There's a million things that they just let go. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Oh my God. And then they were like, so OJ, what were you doing? And he's like, oh, just running around doing what I do. And Marsha Clark was like, why don't you ask him what that means? Right. Like he's just talking in generalizations and just kind of like doing the OJ thing, this like charming thing. And these two cops who are talking to us now, right. like in the documentary <laughs> right. now are just like, we interrogated him. What's the problem? I know. And I'm like, you guys, like this is one of the many things where the LAPD totally screwed up. And Marsha Clark is not over it to this day. I mean, if she you're Marsha Clark, it. it's just gotta be the most frustrating thing. And then they're like, thank you so much for your time, OJ, and let him go. I know. I just have, Marsha Clark is incredulous. And because they're like, Marsha, 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 you're hysterical right now, Marsha. Right, I know. Marsha, you're hysterical. Think about it. He's so famous. Where is he gonna go? And in a way, that's a fine argument, but I mean, the one thing that I will say that I've learned in other cases is that everybody's right to a speedy trial starts the second they are arrested. So Mm -hmm. maybe there was some thinking behind it. Like, we don't have enough information yet. We don't have enough evidence yet. The second we arrest him, the clock starts to tick. If he was not OJ Simpson, he would be held Right, In a county cell until further notice. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) So remember Ron Shipp, the cop that Nicole was like confessing to? Right, and OJ's friend from way back, but he's a cop now. So Ron is over at OJ's house and he's telling us. When I went over to Rockingham, he had like three TVs and each and every one of them, he had a different channel on. Suspect, I'm, I'm, what are you talking about? Is he crazy? And I said, OJ, what happened to your finger? And he says, I cut it on a glass in Chicago. And I went, oh, okay. Somebody else sat down and asked him the same question. And he said, I was chipping golf balls. Now, <laughs> later on that evening, same question came out. Oh, man, you know, I was getting the cell phone out of the, the Bronco, cut myself. 
I was like, wow. You know how those Bronco door handles can be. Really, really jumped out and bit me. But right. the point is, while Ron is asking him this, OJ has like five TVs on and they're all on the news, which you know, like I my know. ADHD, like if there are two things happening at once, I can't handle it. Can yeah. you imagine five TVs of like the 24 hour news cycle just screaming? I would lose my mind. Because think about it. If your ex-wife had just been murdered, I would be thinking, I got to tell my kids. I got to plan funeral arrangements. I got to call her family. I have to feel sad. Right. And try to get to the bottom of this. And I I want to strangle whoever did this to the love of my life. I know we had a rocky relationship, but yeah. I love her. Who did this to her? And Ron Ship in that moment, he fucking knows. How many times have we seen this Powell family or Casey <laughs> Anthony or when people don't give a shit about the person closest to them? Yeah. Red flag. Exactly. <laughs> Agreed. And then the major thing where Ron Ship is like, ooh, so the lying about the cuts, ooh, yellow flag. <laughs> the real red flag is when OJ just says, I tried to leave there and OJ goes, Ship. Hold on. They asked me to take a lie detector test. I told them no. I said, what do you mean told them no? And he says, well, you know, you know jokingly, he says, well, you know, be truthful, ship. I, you know, I have had dreams of killing her. I want to leave. I said, this, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Would you look at the time? <laughs> Simply must be going, thank you so much. I wish I could stay and have five TVs yep. screaming the news at me right. about this person who's wanted for murder. Yeah. But I simply must be going. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If you'll excuse me. It's so funny because you see the video footage back in the day of him leaving OJ's house and he gets in his like shitty little car. Right. Hey, Ron Chip, girl, that's the kind of car I would have too. <laughs> just running as far away as possible. It's just like the dichotomy of like OJ's crazy sure. house on Rockingham. And like Ron Ships, like, you know, used right. like whatever kind of car it was. Like who has five TVs in the same room? I know. That's <laughs> I like know. super like Howard Hughesy. That's very strange uh -huh. to me. So now we get a timeline of what happened on the night of the murder. Right. We'll go through this quickly because you can't see it. June 12th, 1994. So five o'clock, OJ Simpson, Nicole Brown, and the family attend a dance recital for their daughter. Mm -hmm. By 6.30, Nicole and her family eat at Mezzaluna in Brentwood. Yeah, OJ was noticeably not invited. Fuck that. Yeah. At 9.36, OJ and Cato return to Rockingham after a trip to McDonald's. I just have keep it classy OJ. Right. And then they go their separate ways. So they like got their Big Mac meals. It's so Drive through. Weird. And then they don't even want to like sit and eat it together. Right. OJ's like, all right, Kato, thank thanks for keeping me company in the car. Like, don't you, would totally. you want to have company while you're eating or something? You know what I mean? Like, isn't that the thing you kind of want to interact with, not the car ride? Just also, if you're the guy that works the drive through at McDonald's, are you a little surprised to see OJ Simpson? Right. No, yeah. <laughs> Shit. Right. Is that OJ? It's like Madonna just pulls up at the drive through at McDonald's. <laughs> right. Please. Please. Can you imagine? No. 9.37, Nicole's mom calls Mezzaluna looking for her missing sunglasses. Right. And at around 10 p.m., Ron Goldman drops off Nicole's mom's sunglasses at Nicole's house. Do we see two crazy things in this timeline. We mm. see the reservation book at Mezzaluna that says Nicole's name on the night, like they're waiting for a table. Yeah. And we also see Ron Goldman's time in, time out punch card. Yes. Also, that poor guy had been working since 10.30 that morning. I and he tried to do a nice thing because Nicole's yeah. house is down the street from Mezzaluna. Right. He was on his way home. I also, just wanted to like, drop it off. She was the girlfriend of the owner. Like, maybe he's just trying to do a nice thing for his boss. Totally. And he was just a nice person. You know, it's just like, it's on my way home. I'll just drop it off. This they were probably like $800,000. Yeah, that's true, too. You know, and Ron gets lost in this a little bit, which he is does. why I'm so grateful for Kim's podcast. Yes. We And it's funny now knowing, listening to Kim's podcast about how close they were. Yeah. Because you see Ron, like, at her wedding, you know, sort of like saying, like, I know I'm not going to see you much tonight, but I love you and I'm this, so like, happy for you. This, like, video testimonial. I have uh, chills you could feel like in my cheeks yeah. like just this really lovey they loved each other they of course did. they did
Obviously, this is your older brother. Um, we don't get to spend very much time together, so I'm very glad that I was able to be here. So I love you very much, and uh, I'll see you soon. And just to address it, like, because I always wondered, and Kim addresses it head on, like, Ron and Nicole had no sexual relationship. No, no, no. They were just friendly. They weren't even necessarily friends. Okay, back to the timeline. Yeah. At 10.15, neighbors hear dogs barking around Nicole's house. Right. And then 11.15, uh, O.J. Simpson is picked up by a limo and driven to LAX. And then it says at 11.45, he flies to Chicago for a Hertz golf outing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 11.15, you're picked up and your flight's at 11.45? Right. You guys enter Robert Shapiro. We're going to get a ding. At the time that this murder took place, OJ was at home awaiting a limousine to take him to the airport for a promotional event in Chicago. OJ Simpson has described him as his quarterback. He is defense attorney Robert Shapiro. Ms. Travolta played him in the Ryan Murphy adaptation of this horrible story. Is that? Who did it? Ms. Travolta played. So here's the thing about Robert Shapiro. Robert Shapiro had like $8,000 suits and he was known as like the fixer. He was not a trial guy. No. He got celebrities off for drunk driving, politicians for, you know, sleeping with someone who was not their partner. Like he was just, he threw money at the problem. He was fancy pants. He was like the high rent Michael Cohen. you go. Michael Cohen is the low rent Robert Shapiro. Right. May, may she rest in jail. Right. So he makes he's a wheeling and dealing kind of guy. So OJ calls him his quarterback because again we get the sports. We get it. You were, fa- <laughs> you were famous at one point. So Robert Shapiro is like I will totally be the celebrity of this defense team. Uh huh. Let's bring in some people who actually know what they're doing. Yeah. Like F. Lee Bailey played uh-huh. by Ms. Nathan Lane is in the right? Ryan Murphy adaptation of this horrible story. Oh my god. Yes. Wow. This like rap party was held somewhere in West Hollywood. <laughs> Can you stand it? I mean, obviously. Yeah. Selma Blair was in that. Oh my God, I love her. Chris Jenner, she played Chris Jenner. And then Ron Ship, the cop, who right. like bolted from OJ's, right. gets word that OJ wants him on the team too in some capacity. And Ron Ship is like, absolutely fucking not. OJ was putting together his team. They sent a guy over to me. Hey, man, we're putting together this thing. We're going to need you. OJ needs you. And I said, I'm not on board. And I'll never forget that investigator's look on his face. He says, what? I said, OJ killed her. I'm not on board. OJ, like, you're not John Gotti. And also, John Gotti, you sucked anyway. But, like, <laughs> like, like summoning for Rob Shipp. I know, like, I know. send it, calling out for him. Like, OJ, who do you think you are? You're a murderer. So now, like, we get footage of a memorial that Nicole's friends and family were throwing. Yeah, and we see, what's that guy's name? AC. Yeah. And he stands up to give, like, a speech or whatever yeah. at the memorial, like, as you do. I think he's garbage, right? Like, we think he's garbage? Um, yeah, uh, Yes, we will get into the AC thing, but I think- He's the guy that was driving the Bronco, if you guys don't know who he is. Right, and he could not have anticipated that he would be that person in the moment of the memorial. Yeah, that's true. People grieve in their own way. There's a lot (laughs) of garbage here, but he says- And one of the things about Nicole, which all of you will agree, was Nicole's laugh. Yeah. Once that woman laughed, she was, uh, she brought out a lot of goodness in you. Nicole was very, very special to me. That was my buddy. And um, I know um, Sydney and Justin, you've been blessed because uh, a lot of her character and all the goodness about her, you're not, you're not going to notice it now, but you're going to notice it as you get older. 
because she has laid a great foundation for you too. It's moving. It I will is. say, like, it's a move. It's moving what he has to say. A lot of people were swept up in this hurricane of awful. Uh huh. And uh, AC is one of them. Although AC kind of blindly supported OJ. But yeah, I think remember he- when OJ stole his girlfriend and then married her? And he was like, OJ, but we can still be best friends, right? This is one of those times when I, it makes me think of Marguerite, OJ's ex-wife, and being like, where is she? We yeah. never hear from her again. Yeah. So then we learn, like, we learn on the news that like OJ's arrest is imminent. Right. It's the day of Nicole's wake yeah. and we see her main gay David remember yep. him yeah I do and he's really having a time he was the one that was after their first date where OJ had like obviously sexually assaulted Nicole mm-hmm. who was like don't go so fast with this guy right and he's talking about seeing her in her coffin looking at her I can remember a black dress up to her neck because um, what I had heard is that, that her, her head was almost cut off all the way which even shocked me more and more. I mean, I was just like, and seeing her there, lying there in a coffin. I mean, it really, I mean, I don't know, it was just terrible. It's totally heartbreaking. And we're seeing her friends, her main gay, Robin Greer. It was a party girl back in the day. Just saying. I love Robin. I, I love only her. know that we talk about what the documentaries tell us, Robin. I'm so sorry. You, si- you, signed, you signed off on that. You can use whatever footage of me you can find. That wasn't me who asked for the cocaine at the wedding. That was I know. Here. Robin's the best. But Robin is saying to us, like, OJ came to the wake. That, that's the other thing about this documentary. There's so much footage. Right. And we see OJ at the wake with his daughter, like, Sydney. We see her. She looks to be, like, 10 years old mm. or so. Yeah. And she's not crying like she clearly isn't grasping what's happening here right yeah she's a kid you know i don't i don't know anything about children so however they respond (laughs) to horrible things that's on them that's 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 their stuff it's not mine totally um (laughs) but the thing is like oj was very clearly self-medicated on xanax or something yeah but the thing is like it really struck me that even a couple days after she was murdered everyone knew like that everyone at her wake was like can you believe he showed up and everyone in her life knew it was him because they knew her I mean you can put as much makeup on as you want but like after a while you can't hide what's really happening yeah and it's always the ex-husband like it's just definitely him yeah or the husband right Action News has learned that Simpson's attorney is working on a deal with police for Simpson's surrender to avoid what the lawyer calls, and we quote, a media circus. I have never understood this. Go fucking get the guy. Just go right. arrest him. Right. So right. OJ will just surrender on his when he's goddamn good and ready, right. which I'm like, oh, your privilege is showing. Guess what? Does OJ surrender? Absolutely goddamn not. Wait, so it's the next day. OJ's supposed to surrender by 11 o'clock, and all of the press are there, and we see, like, the major detective or whatever the fuck this guy is, right. who was, like, negotiating this surrender and he is watching the clock and his face is just turning white. And it's just dripping with sweat because everyone is waiting for like, we have him in custody. Like it's 11.02 and everyone's like, can you just give us the pull quote that you have him in custody? That's what everyone's waiting for. Right, and the whole world knows. Like everyone thinks OJ's been arrested already. OJ's a no-show. <laughs> a no-show. You Shocking. get fired for that. Yeah, seriously. The cop is like, when he sees the clock strike 11, oh. he's like, oh no, he doesn't show up. I think I'd already scheduled a press conference. And it's like, oh no. We potentially could look like a bunch of clowns here. This morning, detectives from the Los Angeles Police Department sought and obtained a warrant for the arrest of O.J. Simpson, charging him with the murders of Nicole Brown Simpson and Ronald Lyle Goldman. Mr. Simpson, in agreement with his attorney, 
scheduled to surrender this morning to the Los Angeles Police Department. Initially, that was 11 o'clock. It then became 11.45. Mr. Simpson has not appeared. The Los Angeles Police Department right now is actively searching for Mr. Simpson. He's not saying outright that he ran. Right. He's kind of <laughs> dancing around it, and you could almost see the wheels turning, and everyone's like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, OJ ran. <laughs> So my favorite part of this whole thing is when Zoe Turr, remember her? Yes. She literally goes, he's gone. It's a helicopter story now. Let's find this son of a bitch. He's gone. I looked at Marika and I said, it's a helicopter story now. Let's find this son of a bitch. I will follow Zoe Turr at this point. I'm on the front lines with our let's go. Because remember, she was like a very well-known like helicopter journalist. Like she was running the helicopter, whatever that is. She was getting the stories from the sky. Guys, if you think you can't go to college and major in helicopter journalism, now you know. Look, if it were not for Zoe Turr, we would not have footage of the Rodney King riots. It's true. Or the Bronco chase. You're right. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> OJ's on the run. God knows where. We'll, fi- we'll, we'll reconvene with OJ. God, yeah. enough with OJ for five seconds. For five goddamn seconds. So Johnny Cochran is not even on the scene yet. But from right. the very beginning, like because Robert Shapiro was the star of the defense team, everything's a goddamn circus. Uh-huh. Also, one Robert Kardashian, played by David Schwimmer in the Ryan Murphy juice, adaptation of this. Juice, 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 <laughs> They are representing him and they read a letter to the press. There's a press conference about a letter that OJ wrote that sounds a hell of a lot like a suicide note to me. This letter was written by OJ today. First, everyone understand I had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. I loved her always have and always will if we had a problem it's because i love her i loved her so much i think of my life and feel i've done most of the right things so why do i end up like this i can't go on no matter what the outcome people will look and point I can't take that. I can't subject my children to that. Don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great life, great friends. Please think of the real OJ and not this lost person. Okay, that's a fucking suicide note. You know what else I hear, though? What? I loved her so much, she made me do this to her. Uh, I hear That was like a dagger to the heart. I know, try being a woman. So I hear a a lot of like, I loved her so much, I had to do this. She forced my hand, I had to do this. That's what I hear a lot of that. And he says it even more in the Bronco chase. OJ's garbage, everybody. Welcome to the club. (laughs) Welcome to the party. It's miserable. There's one point in the letter that OJ says, don't feel sorry for me. And I just wrote, done and done, OJ. Yeah, no problem there. (laughs) Fine. Also, don't tell me how to feel. <laughs> I hated you on my own accord. I don't need you giving me permission to not feel sorry for you. How dare you, sir? How 
dare you? <laughs> so now, like, whistle register, remember him? Who yeah, I, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. He's garbage. But yeah. he tells this story, and the point is to learn about how AC, who gave that really moving speech at Nicole's memorial, and is the person driving the white Bronco. Yeah. The point is to show how blindly loyal AC was to OJ. And also the fact that, like, when they were kids, whistle register and his friends decided to bring a gun to school. Well, that, that too. I remember once in high school, a friend of mine had a starter pistol that he brought to school. So we said, okay, let's go take the gun and pull it on OJ and act like we were going to shoot him. We were all down for it. So we went out on the field where OJ and Al were. And my friend Ray, he pulled the gun out and everybody sort of stepped back. And Al Collins stepped in front of OJ and said, Ray, if you're going to shoot OJ, you got to shoot me first. And they basically like call AC a punk in quotes or whatever. They're just like, <laughs> AC tried to be loyal to his friend. What a little bitch. And I'm like, whoa, what is what's the point of any of this? Yeah. So just to break it down for a second, we got a gun at school uh-huh. that they think it's hilarious to pull on their real friend. Ding, ding, ding. ding. Then the AC also just jumps in front of a gun. Not advisable. No, no, no. And then AC's the asshole. Right. Like, can you believe that? That punk idolizing OJ so much. And By I'm the like, way, I punk is code for gay. Because right, we right. heard we heard heard whistle register say that last time about oj's dad yeah when you hear us say that in this series just air quotes air, air quotes, quotes and garbage bells yeah. so now we're with zoe in the helicopter and she, zoe is on fire and she basically like stumbles upon the bronco chase it is unbelievable she's like we're listening to the los angeles police department and they believe that this vehicle is somewhere in the vicinity of the el toro y and i look down below and there's the el toro y and there's a white Bronco. Then there's a sheriff's unit. And there's another sheriff's unit. And another sheriff's unit. Okay, here we are. Open the door. And then it's just like Dan Rather. This is Dan Rather with Connie Chung in Los Angeles. And let's hold on a second here. I'm seeing on the monitor this live helicopter coverage uh, of the Ford Bronco being followed by the police. And let's pick up uh, some of the transmission from the helicopter. They believe he's suicidal and very dangerous. Unfortunately, at this time, it does not appear as though the uh, driver is slowing down or, or complying with the orders of the officers. Meanwhile, Zoe Tur is hanging out of a helicopter. Right. Narrating it like a goddamn pro. Uh, you, uh, but imagine this. Back then, Z- Zoe Tur was a man. Right. This man, like, opens the door and is literally hanging out of a helicopter at, like, a, you know, 2,000 feet or whatever. Uh-huh. Whatever. However many. A lot of feet. A lot of feet. Yeah. High up in the She's air. She's a lot of feet in the air. High up in the outside. And then Zoe Tur, again, who is just on fire. On fire. Really, truly, like, modern day Zoe Tur telling us like her memory of this thing. She was so loyal to CBS in this moment and she was also like just wanted them to get OJ. She literally says this. Fuck NBC. Fuck ABC. Fuck those guys. I hope they shoot this son of a bitch. And I hope they kill him before the competitors get here. 
Should we, we scream? scream? I, mean, I don't know. It's like I, I agree with half of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, agree yeah. with some of it. But also, like Zoe Tur is like advocating for a brutal, violent death live on CBS. Can you imagine if that had happened? Uh, no. But he did kill two people. Sure. I do love that Zoe Tur immediately was on the right side of history, like just unabashedly, <laughs> just like I don't care who hears me. I am live on on the news. Are you gonna kill the son of a bitch or not? What are we all doing here? I know. I know. Because you guys, we see the Bronco chase, and the Bronco chase is not from the movies. It I is, watched this live, by the way. I don't know if you did, but I watched I this not. as it happened. Because you were four. <laughs> I, I do remember, I remember the verdict coming. I remember they like played it in like elementary, like grade yeah. school. I was like, why are we watching this? We're, I, in the moment, <laughs> right. I knew we were way too young. But I do remember that like the, the chase was happening. How could you not? If you yeah, were yeah, like yeah. awake, even as a baby or whatever, yeah. like you just They know. say 95 million people were watching yes. this. And the thing is like, it's not this high speed chase. I'm taking my socks off while you tell the story. Keep going. Can I take my bra off then? Yeah, of course. Okay. Take it off. Um, I'm keeping all of this yeah, in. Yeah. It's the paints. The, the pa- Sam, it's late. It's hot in here. And you guys, I know it's September. I just hate the summer, but like <laughs> it's hot in here because we can't have the air on. Anyway. It's true, yeah. All right, now I'm really feeling it. Okay. <laughs> so it was not a high-speed chase. Right. It was AC driving the Bronco, just like going along. And there were so many cops behind him. And Zoe's just like, it looked like a presidential motorcade. Yeah. Like, what, there were eight cop cars behind him and not one of them did that thing where it's like they go really fast and then like and then like try to cut them off and make them stop right they were just like i wonder where oj's taking us that's oj the football player used to be we are following oj oh my god it's kind of crazy because then we hear one of the cops saying to us like modern day like we're we're dumbfounded law enforcement is following simpson they want him to stop red lights and siren it's not an escort why are they allowing him to continue? Really, the game plan is uh, really being conducted by Mr. Simpson at this point, and it's very much like when the president travels down a major thoroughfare like a freeway. You do the lights and the sirens, and you pull him over. That's the other thing. No lights, no sirens. Pull it the was, guy over. It was almost like they were like, we don't want to disturb OJ during right. this Bronco chase. He murdered two people. The thing about it, too, though, is that we learned that they know that OJ's got a gun. So that's the other thing. I mean, I guess, like, from their perspective, they're in this predicament where if it was just any random person who they knew had a gun they'd be pulling him over there'd be 15 cops shooting into the car this would be over in five seconds everyone would be dead right so so ac calls 911 911 what are you reporting this is this is ac i have oj in the car okay where are you please i'm coming up the five freeway okay right now we all we all okay but you gotta tell the police to just back off he's still alive but he got a gun to his head okay hold on a minute Monica. That one guy calls for Monica. That's all I know. He's like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, uh Monica? Monica. Monica. <laughs> she usually handles these low-speed chases. Like, what? Poor Monica is, like, in the middle of eating her tuna sandwich. Like, what? I was like, who's Monica? I ju- you guys, it's been four minutes. I, I know. I had a 10-minute break. Like, what do you need from and me? Then my favorite moment of the, of the uh, and apparently Super Hot Husband Mike's favorite moment, too. Well, let's let him hear it. Okay. Okay, what's your name? My name is Ace. You know who I am. God damn it. Okay. You guys. You guys. So I've watched the series at least three times. I watched it once when it was on, and then I watched it all the way through when I knew we were going to do it. And now I'm watching them episode by episode doing uh-huh. my notes. I've been a lot. It's a lot of OJ, you guys. <laughs> but because Mike has watched all every single time I've watched it, he's watched it with me. So I just, so I'm watching this episode. I'm doing my notes on my computer. Type, type, type. <laughs> and this happens. And I hear Mike like come in from the other room to say right on cue you know who I am god damn it 
I screamed when he said it that. It totally took me out of it. I was like, that's amazing. I know, I know. Because the funny thing, like watching the documentary version, you were getting all of this supplemental stuff. But when you watched it live, right. you're literally just watching a Bronco drive down the highway. Right. And the thing is, like that audio, of course, was not being broadcast. Right. The of audio course. of the phone right. calls, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So then uh, something happens. They get disconnected or AC's like, excuse me, I can't be on the phone and driving. Like, don't want to break any laws <laughs> or whatever. Safety first, Safety you guys. first, you guys. I have, only have a murderer in the back of my car. Right. So then the cops like somehow probably called Monica or whatever, poor Monica, and got like OJ's cell number. Right. And they call and they start trying to negotiate with OJ. And the thing is like, the cops are just like, come on, Juice, everyone. They're really stroking his ego uh-huh. because they want to prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law. He's trying in my mind to imply he's going to commit suicide, but he's not saying that. So I'm playing along with that. Hey, everybody loves you. Don't do this. And they just want to like get him. And I'm like, you know how you could gotcha him? Throw a siren on. One siren. One siren, one siren out of eight cars. I I really feel the the reason they didn't do that and why they were really trying to like talk nicely to him on the phone really had less to do with Nicole and more to do with the fact that they just didn't want him shooting at the cops. Sure. Yeah, that, that, I mean, it's all protocol. I right, get it. Yeah, you know, you yeah, have to be yeah. like, everyone loves you. Put the gun down. It's not yeah. worth it. I mean, I know that that's all a script, yeah. obviously. This is where Zoe Tur says. I think people realize hey, this is gonna be passing my neighborhood. And they wanted to see OJ's last run. I get it, Zoe. I know. Uh, Zoe's always been good with a pun, that one. So OJ's driving on the highway. We see all these like hundreds of people coming out with like signs in support of OJ. Right, so 95 people were watching, but thousands of them were on the LA highway, whatever that is, the big highway. The The 405, (laughs) the the Pacific Coast Highway, whatever. The 2914. You take the 108 to the whatever. I I know, you guys drive in LA, good for you. Um, you I love LA, by the way. Yeah, whatever. Hey, LA, I'm coming your way. (laughs) Yeah, whatever, I'm coming in December, doesn't matter. Um, But all these people like free OJ. I'm like, how do you have time to make that sign on Oak Tag to support OJ going down the street? So they get to OJ's like, I just want to go home. After all of this, after however long he's driving around at a snail's pace (laughs) and the cop's too scared to throw on a siren, what he ends up at home after all of this. It's ridiculous. But it's like all of these people off of like the off ramp are chasing the Bronco. And it's so funny. You see the 90s version of the cell phone cameras because it's like these people with their like handheld camcorders. With the big lights on it. That it's like, it's all one piece. You can't take it off. It's just a thing. And another great line from Zoe. She's like, This was not a somber event. This was one of Los Angeles's largest parties. There was nothing like, oh my God, he's a murderer. It was people, I mean, running in drove. They're coming out of the bushes. I'm like, where are all these people coming from? <laughs> and because they have to stop it, like suddenly they have to stop at stoplights. Like people who are getting pictures of OJ are high-fiving each other on the street. They're chanting, they're cheering. It's so bizarre. Dan Rather says this thing where he's like, he calls it like, oh, what's Macabre. The... Yeah, he calls it macabre. And yeah, it's true. It it's, it's very macabre. It's bizarre. Even then, like Dan Rather's just like, can we just hold on a second? You know right. why he's running? Because he's right. running for double murder, you idiot. Right. I hope everyone who was in that footage sees themselves now and is like, ooh. Ooh. Like, do you think there's anyone who's like, I was right all along? (laughs) I got the picture, you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Here's that oak tag I've saved. It's been in the garage all this time. Like, do you really stand by it? Yeah, it's very, oh God. So we meet Matt Albanese, who's the SWAT guy. Oh, I call him the super hot SWAT guy. When I got on scene there, I walked toward the residence. There was family inside the residence and they were eating. Looked like they had like a sandwich buffet that they were doing and they were watching TV. You know I love this when the director perks up. Yo, yeah, 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 yeah. So the director from the other side of the camera is like, I'm sorry, what? Um, so OJ is wanted for murder and on the run and they're just eating sandwiches. Yeah. And Matt says, 
Dining. Dining. <laughs> I'm going to use the technical term. Nutty. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, and then I, and I have that quote, and then I just said, Matt Albany's national treasure. Yeah. <laughs> So OJ gets home and we see like all of a sudden he's in the driveway. We're seeing it from every fucking angle. Yeah. His son Jason like runs out to the car and all of a sudden Jason is in the drive. And I remember seeing this live when wow. it was happening. Jason is fighting with AC, the guy who's driving the Bronco. Everyone's making it worse. Everyone's <laughs> Jason's making it worse. AC's making it worse because he gets out and he starts screaming too. And yeah. I'm like, who are you? You drove the getaway car. Right. You dummy. Who are right. you yelling at? And this whole thing is that OJ still has the gun and everyone is saying if OJ comes out of that car with the gun, they're going to have to take him down. Right. They're going to have to shoot him. Almost as if he was anybody else in LA. Exactly. Weird, weirdly right. enough. Right. And so like lying the short of it is OJ like waits until it gets dark and comes out of the car. And he like does that because he doesn't want him like surrendering caught on film. And then we're meeting all these people like on the street because of course we have to hear from the townspeople what they think. Right. And there are all these people like blindly supporting him and they're just like, well, I know exactly what happened. All the cops made all this evidence up to make him act the way he's acting. And I'm uh-huh. like, why were his, why would his best friends, the cops, right. frame him for no reason? He was a beloved athlete. All these guys had his poster on right. their wall. Yeah. He was friends with them. Like, what are you talking about? The thing to remember about the climate of LA at this time is that they're coming off of the Rodney King verdict, which right. is like, you know, this man that was savagely beaten in the streets. Totally. And the cops got off. So the black community is justifiably angry. Right. And meanwhile, they're just like, OJ, I'm so sorry we have to handcuff you. Right. A guy I says know. they apologize to OJ. Yeah. So even the optics are totally different on this. Yeah. So OJ is being arraigned. He's pleading not guilty. Mm-hmm. And he looks like shit. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we're, we're dealing with Mark Furman. Right. And so Mark Furman is like one of the lead investigators on the case. Marsha Clark says. He was on top of his game. His memory of, of the search of Rockingham was the primary thing. And it was detailed and consistent. And then we meet Jeffrey Tubin. Jeff Tubes. I really like Jeffrey Tubin. He's too. a columnist for The New Yorker. He's so smart. He's on fresh air every five minutes. Right. So Jeffrey Tubin was a law student under Alan Dershowitz. And Alan Dershowitz will be on the dream team eventually. Mm-hmm. But he calls Dershowitz and he's like, what do you think about this? And Dershowitz tells him. You ought to look into this guy, this cop. Mark Furman, there's something bad about him. I thought maybe this guy Furman has done something wrong. Maybe he's been sued. There was this dungeon-like basement with all the records of civil court filings. And I started burrowing through these records looking for Mark Furman as a defendant. And that's not what I found. I found a lawsuit where Mark Furman was the plaintiff. He had actually sued the Los Angeles Pension Board asking to be relieved as a police officer and get a pension because his mind was so poisoned by hatred of black people. By his own admission, I'm too racist to do this job. You guys, I got to get out of this. And you got, and we're seeing the transcripts and he's using the N-word left and right. He's breaking bones. He, and-, and he's like proud of the excessive force he's using when he's dealing with members of the black community. He is an open racist. Right, like court legal documents racist. Yeah, yeah. Then we cut to present day Mark for him and he goes, It is what it is. <laughs> I thought I hated that phrase I know. before this situation. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So Tubin takes this to Shapiro, right. who's on the dream team and he's like hey look at this like case that I found isn't it doesn't this make Furman look really bad and and Shapiro's like you think that looks bad we think he planted the glove yeah we're gonna totally say he planted the glove we're gonna we're gonna make this whole trial about Mark Furman isn't that isn't that great and you just found the supporting evidence thank you so much sweetheart so and Tubin's like oh wait (laughs) 
<laughs> Shit, this should totally be about the murderer. God it's, damn it. It's one of those things where like, what do you do in that moment where it's like, yeah, OJ definitely killed this guy, but the guy who's like the main cop who's like oh, found all the good evidence is an open racist. Right. So this is all coming out just as Johnny Cochran joins the defense team. Yes. My name is Johnny O. Cochran Jr. I am primarily a civil rights lawyer and I represent a number of clients who uh, have had their civil rights abridged. Johnny Cochran was always the icon to young black and brown and oppressed people in Los Angeles because Johnny was that young, dashing lawyer who took on the police. This whole thing is like, you know, the fall from grace with OJ, but it's like, I feel that way about Johnny Cochran too, because he was on the right side of history and then he's like defending Michael Jackson and OJ. Like he's actually evil. Yeah. Go listen to Spooky Mormon Hell Dream from Book of Mormon, you guys, because <laughs> he gets name checked in that. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. So OJ's been charged and here we are at jury selection. Yeah. And this whole bit is crazy because everyone's saying like there's nothing more important to a trial than jury selection. And also they have to figure out where in Los Angeles they're going to try this case. Right. And the, the DA Gil Garcetti, I believe his name is. Garcetti? Garcetti. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm thinking Carcetti like The Wire. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, Garcetti. Okay. So he's like. I'm confident that we can indeed find white, black, brown, every color juror there is who will indeed be fair and impartial. I think it would have been societally better um, uh, from the DA's perspective to win a conviction downtown and to not be accused of having stacked this in such a way that whites would stand in judgment with black men. The issue of where to conduct the trial, the Santa Monica courthouse, largely white jury pool, downtown L.A., largely black jury pool. Gil Garcetti, the DA, always said, well, it just logistically had to be downtown. Didn't go that way. No. <laughs> ooh, if you're just joining us, ooh, uh, does not go well. So basically, like, Marsha Clark says this thing. It's a weird thing. I love Marsha Clark, but this whole thing is a little strange. Yeah, so she is convinced that she has, like, a really good track record with black women jurors. She just thinks she can talk to them. Like, she's got some... As they though like they're not just regular people like everybody else. Right, she's like, they've always been good jurors to me. Like, they've always, like, sided yeah. with her. Uh -huh. And so she's like, it's gonna be fine. It's right. totally cool. Yeah. So it ends up that there are eight black women women on this jury and then they do these focus groups and all the black women that they survey think Marsha Clark's a bitch Marsha's own admission yeah she's like oh they hated me yeah I don't know what happened they yeah. used to love me in the last trial they don't <laughs> like me now because what we learned about this trial is that everybody was told ahead of time it's probably going to be six months you're probably going to be sequestered and and we are told by the talking heads in the movie mm -hmm. jurors who were available for six months skewed heavily towards a lower socioeconomic strata of jurors and a much more diverse jury pool. A lot of smart jurors who might have been open to DNA scientific evidence simply went by the wayside. We didn't have many of our type of juror. And the jury is such that Marsha Clark feels confident. And so does OJ, because there's this very, very famous quote. Oh my God, this quote is unreal. So like, as Marsha Clark is approving all these jurors, because they each side has to agree, you know? Yeah, yeah. So at the end of it, the defense kind of looks at each other and they're like, are you for real? Like, we totally approve. And as they're walking out. OJ 
looked back one last time. It was me, Johnny, we were going back to talk about everything. And OJ said, guys, if this jury convicts me, Maybe I did do it. And so now the trial starts. Right. And at the very last minute, like trial starts at 9 a.m., uh-huh. 8.59, a new lawyer is added to the prosecution and his name is Chris Darden and he's a black man. So the whole thing about, we start to see the actual jurors and they're saying like, where did this guy come from? Mm-hmm. Because it used to be two white people and now it's two white people and this black guy. Right. And the black guy is giving the opening statement yeah. and now the, all these black jurors are feeling like they don't trust the prosecution because they feel like they they brought in this black guy simply because he was black. And so we hear from this guy, Carl Douglas, who we would love if he was on the right side of history. He's, yeah. he's on the defense. So he's this black guy who we just have to assume he's gay. He is so, I don't want to say I love him. I wish I could. He's just super sassy. Like yeah. He just really is like your cool gay uncle. And super honest because he says, look. Using the concept of a conspiracy historically in Los Angeles will resonate with diverse jurors who know about this history. You had to have someone to blame. The yeah, things yeah. he says in this, he's like, bitch, are you for real? And he's like, bitch, yes, I am. <laughs> like, he would throw a martini in my face, no, not even a question. In totally, mind. no question. And I'd, like, I'd be like, what a, what a waste of someone <laughs> to be on our side. So the defense is like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We want to introduce Mark Furman's like whole file, and that includes his rampant use of the N-word. So just to drive this point home, Mark Furman was like was like a big witness. Remember, he found one of the gloves? Yeah. Like, he, he had a lot of evidence to share. And the defense is like, that's great. Call him all you want. We just want to be able to say, also, he's a racist. Mm-hmm. And we know he's a racist because he said that he was a racist. Right. In this lawsuit that he filed that said, I can't do my job anymore because I'm so racist. Right. It's like getting to my health. So the defense is saying we really want like every single time Mark Furman used the N-word, like we want that to be presented at trial. And so the lawyers are having this argument in front of Judge Ito without the jury present. And because Judge Ito, who we'll get to in next episodes, ding, um, (laughs) has to decide if the the N-word and all of this testimony is going to be admissible. So who gets up to argue for the prosecution? Chris Darden. It blinds people. It'll blind the jury. It'll blind them to the truth. They won't be able to discern what's true and what's not. He hit the nail right on the head. He said, if you do this, you know, then that's all this case is going to be about. All they'll think about is frame up, frame up, frame up. All they have to do is mention the word, say to Mark Furman, hey, did you ever use that N-word? And he will say, yeah, and it's over. You must have planted the glove. And what Chris Darden is trying to say, and he doesn't do it well, yeah. but what he's trying to say is if we make it about race, it will be about that. We should make it about the murder and the evidence, which is the evidence of plenty. But he is trying to say, if you make it about that, it's such, the word has so much weight to it. That's all the case is going to be about. And that's really not fair to the case. But he didn't say it. I'm not saying I'm super eloquent. Chris Darden didn't say it that way. So Johnny Cochran gets up yeah. to refute this. And I will say that Johnny Cochran, to me, in my memory of the, OJ stuff is like a caricature. Of course. He's so over the top and so ridiculous. He's not back from the 60s. Like, he's not that style anymore. No, he's like a bad guy now. Yeah. But in this moment, we are told, look, when Johnny gets mad... He gets quiet mm-hmm. and he gets very direct and yeah. very thoughtful. Mm-hmm. He's not a screamer. He's not a right. yeller. That's the scariest yeah. one, you know? And so Johnny Cochran gets up. He tells us 80 times he's got a funeral to go to today. But before he goes to his funeral, <laughs> he's going to let the judge know some things. His remarks uh, this morning are perhaps the most incredible remarks I've heard in the court of law. 
the 32 years I've been practicing law. His remarks are demeaning to African Americans as a group. And so I want, before I go to this film, to apologize to African Americans across this country. African Americans live with offensive words, offensive looks, offensive treatment every day of their lives. To say they can't be fair is absolutely outrageous. I am ashamed that Mr. Darden would allow himself to become an apologist for this man. You can't justify that in a civilized society. And it doesn't feel fake. It feels like Johnny Cochran actually really thinks this. Yes, and that we meet a lot of other black people, either they're telling us themselves or we're hearing from white people who are like, ooh, I got super educated. I was super naive, like, thinking that this wasn't a problem. And I learned, like, yeah, it is. And the thing is, Chris Darden did not make that argument correctly. He didn't say what he really meant to say, which is, can we just make this about the case and the evidence, please? But then Johnny Cochran, like, takes it upon himself to apologize to all black people in the world. Like, (laughs) he makes it the Johnny Cochran show, which is... Is what yeah, he did. Yeah. And even that same New York Times writer is just like. Let's be clear about this. The subtext of everything Johnny Cochran said about Chris Darden was Uncle Tom. And it was egregiously unfair. Oh my God. Like he super came for Chris. He essentially calls him an Uncle Tom. Uh-huh. Not only in this pretrial argument or whatever, but to every camera and microphone. And he goes, it, it was unfair the way he told. Totally came for Chris and again doubled down on making it about race. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so as we know, Mark Firm is going to be allowed to testify and they are going to be able to use all the racist stuff that he said. So yeah. that's that's the end of that. Yeah, stay tuned for that. Ugh. Yeah. So we find out that the prosecution wants to take the jury to Nicole's house. Of course, it's the murder scene. Right. You want to see like the bushes where they take OJ Head. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, know like the, the blood scene. stains. I'm sorry right. to say like that's gruesome yeah. and morbid, but if you to see it, like, oh my God, this yeah. is like a really rageful murder. And then the defense is like, that's fine. We can go to Nicole's house. Like, Gretna Green, but then if we also want to go to Rockingham, OJ's house. And Marsha Clark is like, why? Because Judge Ito wanted to go to the big, strong football player's house. Exactly. And this is only going to help OJ. There is absolutely no reason for them to be going there. Right. Marsha is fighting it at every turn, and right. she loses. And they go there, and this is when our, our uh, no, not our friend, right. not our friend, <laughs> Carl Douglas really says, as honestly as can be, when you would walk up the grand staircase... There was a large wall with pictures of the family, pictures of friends, pictures of OJ's career. Problem was, the overwhelming majority of pictures were of Caucasian friends and colleagues of his. We took all of his white friends down, put all of his black people up, pictures he probably had never seen before because that's what we were told the jury would identify with. We made him blacker. And Marsha leans over to Carl and she's like, Carl, bitch, what the fuck? Like, this is like brazen. Can you be a little subtle about it? And this is his gayest moment. Marsha, what are you talking about? How dare you accuse us of such things? Marsha! How dare 
for you, girl. And then he almost like does a side, like look aside, like breaks the fourth wall. Right. And he goes, if it was a Latin guy, we would have had a mariachi band. We would have had whatever we needed. A pinata. A pinata. Now he's Italian about it. We would have had a pinata. We would have whatever you want. Bamboo. So he's like, we totally staged the house. Yeah. But now he says that. And it's like, he knew exactly what he was doing, which is why I can never call him our friend. Exactly. And of course the jury's like, wow, we're at Rockingham. Well, of course. Everyone is totally blinded by the glitter. And then it, the episode just ends with all of the people outside the court talking about how innocent OJ is and how they just know. They just know he's innocent. Mm-hmm. And the thing to remember is that like LA is smarting. I'm going to use that word. They're smarting from all of these decades of racial oppression and the cops coming into these neighborhoods and these homes and just roughing people up and beating people up and mm-hmm. burning down the neighborhood. And you know, all of a sudden they, they have their hero. He's this rich black man on trial and they're like, let's see. Let's see if this is going to work for him. Yeah, let's see. Thanks so much for checking out this episode, you guys. You can hear the rest of this series right now on our Patreon feed. There, you can also get over 100 full bonus episodes of TCO to binge right this second, including our episode-by-episode coverage of The Jinx, Serial Season 1, Making a Murderer, The Casey Anthony Documentary, Lorena, The Disappearance of Madeline McCann, and just this morning, as I mentioned earlier, we released the audio version of our recent live show covering The Legend of Cocaine Island, which we did all across the country on our 20 19 live tour. Just go to patreon.com slash true crime obsessed or go to our website and click the Patreon link. Thanks so much, you guys. Bye. 